All right, we're going to start out with the 128th Psalm. This is a song of ascents. This is one of the 14 songs of ascents that the uh, Bible has. And uh, I've explained this before, but I like to explain it so that if you've never heard this, uh, the songs of ascents are uh, intended to lift us to a higher spiritual plane. And they use a real-life application of that by starting outside of Israel, moving into the land of Israel, moving up to Jerusalem, and then moving up to the temple, and then into the, the uh, Holy of Holies in the temple. And you're moving from a lower position to a higher position. You're ascending. These are also known as the pil pilgrim songs because uh, the people that are coming for the pilgrim feasts of Israel. So uh, this is the 128th Psalm and uh, it uh, is a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Heavenly Father, thank you, Heavenly Father, for every good blessing that you've given us. And thank you for bringing us here to meet again in your glorious presence. And we always are in your presence. There's never a moment we're not. But to come and fellowship together in your presence is a true honor and a pleasure. And uh, I would ask that uh, this service would be glorifying to you and that the words of the sermon would be proper and appropriate to the situation and uh, not to uh, misuse or mishandle your word in any way, but that you will be glorified through it. And uh, Lord God, we just thank you for each person that's here. Uh, would you bless them in their hearts and bless them in their souls and uh, uh, just take good care of them and uh, look into their hearts and see whatever affliction is bothering them, whatever trial they're facing, and uh, uh, lead them through it. And uh, I know that you'll be there on the other end also, waiting for them and uh, uh, guiding them, carrying them, and waiting for them all in one. You're a great God. You're a wonderful creator, and you've done beautiful things for us particularly in the work of your own Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. Well, we have, uh, I'm just going to give a few announcements today. Uh, for those of you know that know that we bought a building, um, uh, this is the third week I think I've said this, is that we have no progress on the building at all. Uh, the blueprints went uh, from the engineer to the county, and the county found a small thing wrong with them. The county got them back. And uh, they haven't approved them yet. And um, so uh, if the Lord comes, I'm sure that that will require the county's approval as well. Um, they just, they, they, they like to delay things. And uh, um, as I said to the people, I do mission work yesterday. Uh, the Lord is teaching me patience through this. And I just wish he'd do it more quickly. But um, uh, anyway, that's where we're at. We're just waiting for uh, the blueprints to be approved and the, uh, the contractor has people lined up to get started immediately. They, they can start any moment. Um, and uh, that'll take, he thinks, about six weeks and then we can move in and uh, start meeting. And I noticed that we have a uh, survey marker over in the parking lot, which means they may be doing construction here in the next few weeks, maybe uh, paving or I don't know what. But um, uh, we can anticipate some more noise and some more uh, trials because of that. And um, we, uh, as I say from time to time, we have plenty of water right behind me. So if anybody wants to be uh, baptized, uh, this is following the Lord in believer's baptism. It's a picture of what he did for us. It's being buried with him in his grave through full submersion. And then it's uh, being raised to newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and um, the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which never means anything other than to be submersed. So if you've never been fully uh, uh, submerged in baptism, it's, it's simply acknowledging what the Lord has done for you. And so I would ask you to consider maybe uh, uh, doing that at some point, whether it's here or at another church that you may attend regularly. But um, uh, this is our 69th Genesis sermon today. And uh, that means next week is our 70th Genesis sermon, which to me, I just, I'm all excited about that, just to have gone that far. And um, uh, let's see, uh, I have a few prayer requests here. And I, I'm going to start with Paul Stoll, um, who uh, many of you know, he meets here uh, from time to time. He was gone for a year as our missionary to Japan, and he came back. And uh, he now has a firm date for his heart surgery. It will be this Wednesday. So if you're thinking this week, uh, saying your prayers about things, please pray for Paul Stoll. He um, uh, will be facing this and uh, it's, uh, three valves need to be replaced and one needs to be uh, worked on, I believe is, is the, uh, the whole deal. But he's been waiting for this for a couple months due to delays in uh, the doctor's insurance and it will be done this week. And um, I got an email this morning from somebody. I'll just give her first name as Kathy. She's a friend on Facebook, and uh, she is really, really struggling. Um, a couple years ago, her uh, granddaughter died, and it was just she was a, a two-year-old girl, and she died. And May is the anniversary of her birthday, and then June is the anniversary of her death. And then in addition to that, um, they lost their house, and they were trying to buy it back, and somebody bought it back from under them. And she's just at that point in her life where she is literally holding on to the Lord with her fingernails. And what I will normally tell people, and I didn't say this to her, but I know she watches these, um, I will say to her that the Lord, despite us holding on by our fingernails, he has us completely wrapped in his arms. And he will never leave us and he will never forsake us through our trials. And those trials are there to refine us. And though we don't understand why these things happen, they do happen for a reason. And uh, in the end, we will see the wisdom of everything, including the death of a child and why this occurred and how he will be glorified through it and how we will be relieved through it. So um, I would ask that you would just remember her in prayer and uh, her situation because she really is struggling right now and her entire family, she told me. Um, and I know that there are other uh, prayer needs here as well. We've got people that are facing physical trials and uh, financial trials and uh, uh, I do personally keep you in prayer each night, and uh, I would hope that every person here would also remember others. Uh, just affliction is something that we all face together, and it would be good to know that uh, each of us is praying for each other in our affliction. So um, uh, I think those are the only announcements I have today. Um, I will do a New Testament reading today. I may get a little long on the sermon. I may not. But um, I, I don't want to skip too many weeks of uh, just going through the New Testament. And um, today we'll just do uh, 13 verses from Romans chapter 14. Um, Romans 14.1 says, Re Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Um, this is a really good thing that uh, we need to remember, is that uh, as our level of understanding of biblical matters uh, increases, some people never increase. Jesus is Lord, and that's the end of their theology. There's nothing wrong with that um, in and of itself. It's, it's, it's sad because we all should grow in our knowledge of the Lord, but some people never do. And then what do you do? You, you start disputing over uh, doubtful things. And you, well, you know, uh, there are some things that I think are not doubtful. They're pretty clear in the Bible. And there are some things that, that why beat somebody over the head over an issue that 
uh, is only going to chase them further away from the faith. And so if you understand the concept there is don't dispute over doubtful things, but rather build each other up in the faith and edify each other. And uh, as is most possible, don't tear each other down. And uh, I say that because there are times where it's just simply not possible to not tear somebody down. If uh, you're teaching, uh, if you're talking to somebody that does not believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, then they have a severe problem and you need to tear down their theology. You need to break it down and you need to build it back up under the truth of scripture. Anyway, uh, verse two, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak, only vegetables. Well, this is, you know, kind of going back to the law here and Paul will explain this more in detail in Galatians. Um, but somebody that's weak in the face says, well, you know, I shouldn't be eating meat or I shouldn't be eating this and that. And uh, uh, Paul doesn't want us to tear each other down over these simple issues. He says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. This guy's a vegetarian because he thinks eating an animal is somehow wrong. He doesn't have the theology to understand that what was ordained back at the time of Noah never went away except for a certain group of people and for certain reasons. And so that we are allowed to eat anything in God's creation. He's called all things good and he reaffirmed that in the book of Acts. But this person may not understand it. He doesn't have a deeper theology on this. And so he's weak in his faith. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And of course all of our master if we are Christians is Jesus Christ. Um, Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And uh, this is something I was talking about over here just a few minutes ago, is that when you are saved, you are saved. You cannot lose that. God doesn't think the way we do. He thinks, and it's done. And when he calls on you, or you call on him, and you're saved, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. To imply that you could leave your salvation means that he is now taking away what he's given you. That means he made a mistake in the first place, and that's not possible. Uh, so you will stand. There's no doubt about it. Um, one, if you don't believe that, if somebody's watching this particularly on video and they disagree with this premise, just go read 2 Peter chapter 1. Start in about verse 3 and go down to the ninth verse, and he explains what you're to do after salvation. And if you don't do these things, eventually you come to the point where you've forgotten you were saved. Well, guess what? You were saved, and he says it. You're washed from your old sins. So you cannot lose this, and God knows that even if you have forgotten it. All right, um, verse 5, one esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this is not specifically speaking of a Sabbath. Sabbath observance is set aside in Christ. The Sabbath is a Saturday. There are sects and groups which are called Sabbatarians, which mandate a Saturday Sabbath, which is something found under the law. Hebrews 4.3 says that we who do believe enter into that rest, meaning the rest of Jesus. That's why we don't have a Sabbath day. But he's saying some people may say, I have to go worship on Wednesday and Sunday. You know, Baptists are real notorious for that. If you're not in church on Wednesday night and Sunday and Sunday night, then, you know, these people do these things, and that's what they think is correct. And then uh, uh, you have um, some people that say, well, I don't have to worship on any day. I'm living in my, my time of worship, and so I'm just going to praise the Lord all the time. And Paul says, let every man be convinced in his own mind. How did he say that? Yes, convinced in his own mind. All right? Just have your doctrine sound in your head uh, about what you believe. Be convinced in it. And if something is actually wrong doctrinally, the Lord will show that to you. You'll hear a sermon at some point and you'll be corrected. But don't be so stubborn as to say, I know everything. Because when we make that error, all of a sudden we find out that we have fallen much further short than uh, uh, we realized. Nobody could ever grasp the, the mind of an infinite creator. And what he is giving, I like to give people a, a comparison here, is uh, uh, that DNA code. 
Uh, Bill Gates says that if he could master that, you know, he could have a, a computer system that would just be simply astonishing. It only has four letter codes, A, G, C, and T. The Hebrew Aleph Bet, which the Bible is based on, has 22 letters. If this is based on 22 letter codes and these patterns go through the Bible, it is so far beyond DNA that we will never grasp it, not in all of eternity. I assure you that there are things in this book that will just astonish us, us forever. So keep that in mind and uh, let's move on to uh, verse six. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. Here we are today, it's Sunday. Sunday morning, we're at the beach. We're observing it to the Lord. Somebody else is sitting at home who loves Jesus Christ and he's not meeting on a Sunday. He answers that. He says, um, and he who does not observe the day, the guy that's at home on Sunday morning and not at church on the beach, um, uh, to the Lord, he does not observe it. Okay, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. I eat vegetables, this guy eats meat, and we're both giving thanks for the same food to God. Have reasonable thoughts in your mind about how to treat other believers, is what he's saying, concerning their habits and what they do and how they worship, how they attend, how they uh, uh, grasp the concepts of the Bible. Be patient with each other and understand that God has accepted them. And I'm not talking about doctrinal uh, heresy. I'm talking about disputable issues, which he's speaking about. And then he says, um, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. The point is that if you're worshiping on Sunday, you're doing it, hopefully, to worship the Lord. You're not doing it in and of yourself. And if you are... Uh, you know, not in church on Sunday morning, then you are not in church on Sunday morning, hopefully living for the Lord in that capacity. You're not, uh, where is that? Verse eight, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. As I said, it, 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 salvation is eternal. We are the Lord's. It doesn't matter if we're alive or we're dead. We are the Lord's. He will never let us go. Um, verse uh, nine, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of the dead and of the living. Well, if you can't grasp the significance of that, then we need to sit down and talk after this uh, meeting. Jesus Christ really did die for your sins, and you do have a sin debt that needs to be paid. And you have two choices. You can either pay it on your own, and as I uh, say from time to time, a finite sin committed against an infinite God infinitely separates you from your Creator. So you will be infinitely separated from him. You will be condemned and eternally cast away from his presence. Or you can have your sins judged in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect substitute. He was a man born without sin because he was born of a woman and of God. He didn't inherit Adam's sin. And then he lived the law that God gave as his standard. Okay, And when he did that, he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And then God took all of the wrath of the sin that you have in your life and he put it on his own son. That's what he did for us. And so Jesus Christ really suffered for you and for me. And then from there, he came back out of the grave to prove that he was the sinless son of God. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ didn't sin, and therefore he could not be held by death, as uh, Peter explains in uh, Acts chapter 2. All right? So um, he's the Lord of both the living and the dead. And uh, But why do you judge your brother, verse 10? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Christ died for him. What are you judging his eating of meat or not eating of meat for when Christ died for him? Okay, Christ died for him. If he's not going to church on Sunday morning and you don't like that, the Lord will work it out in him. He's not going to work it out in you. You mind your own business. Okay, this is what he's trying to tell us is to have 
some consideration for other people and how they want to approach the Lord as long as it is in accord with this word. That's what we need to do. We need to hold on fast to this word because there is an unseen father out there. And then he gave us his son to reveal the father. If you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the father. Well, how do we know Jesus Christ? D despite what a lot of churches teach, which I'm not going to get into right now, I believe that this is the way that we know Jesus Christ. Right here. As a matter of fact, he said, uh, he said that the Holy Spirit will testify of him. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And then he said that this word will testify of him, which implicitly says the Holy Spirit gave us this word to testify of Jesus Christ. So, there you go. Kind of a, a little uh, obvious uh, syllogism there. Um, verse uh, 11. Oh, uh, hang on. Or why do you show contempt for your brothers? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us is going to stand before what is called the Bema seat. Bema seat in Greek, it's a seat that's higher than the rest, and he's going to look down on us, and he's going to judge us. Now, we, our sin has been judged in Christ's body for justification. We now stand justified by that which we could never be justified apart from Christ. We're cleansed from our past sins, but from the moment that we are saved, we have obligations to continue bringing glory to the Lord and doing the things that he has asked us to do. And we will be judged for how we use our time from the moment that we are uh, saved by Jesus Christ until the last breath of our life or when he comes for us at the rapture. This span, however long it is, 10 seconds, the guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus or uh, you know, uh, 80, 90 years of Billy Graham out doing crusades. That is our time of judgment at the Bema seat. We will receive rewards and losses for how we use this time. So I would say use it wisely. Um, verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord. Going back to the Old Testament, he's quoting something about the Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament, now applying it to Jesus. Clue here, Jesus is the incarnation, which means he is the manifestation of Jehovah in the flesh, okay? If you're a Jehovah's Witnesses, Witness, you may not believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. This is being applied to Jesus from something in the Old Testament. As I live, says the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Our accounting will be directly to God without all the interference of people pointing fingers at us and telling us what we should be doing in this life. This here will tell us what we should be doing. All right, verse 13, our final uh, verse today. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Stumbling block is this teeny little thing that's down there and you just trip over it and it causes somebody's faith to be diminished all right once again though what he's saying about judging and what jesus says judge not lest ye be judged is not in any way speaking about making right moral decisions at all as a matter of fact when people quote judge not lest ye be judged there you know that they don't understand what jesus christ came to do and what he came to show us to do is to make right moral decisions and to call out sin for what it is in this world we're not to waffle on that issue. We're not to be tolerant of sin, and we're not to be tolerant of religions which proclaim that they are the way to God. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I can't help people that believe differently. If you just simply think it through, without this book, you can know that there is an infinite God and that we have a debt to him. And if that's true, then what I explained to you about Jesus must be true, or we are all condemned. So, praise be to God for his indescribable gift, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Um, okay, let me read you one more psalm real quickly to get you in a better mood, because uh, 
I know I kind of take the, the hard line on these things, but I believe it's because we need that from time to time. We have sin in our lives and we need to get it out. So um, anyway, here we go. We'll read the 129th Psalm, another of the Song of Ascents. And it says here, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back, they made my, their furrows long. The Lord is righteous, he has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, which with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. All right, let me turn this, and I apologize, there's gonna be a little bit of fiddling around today because of the wind, but uh, can't help that. Maybe I'll put another one right down here. All right, so today is going to be Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35. That's five verses. I know last week when I said that, I said it's four verses and somebody must have thought, what's he talking about? I was looking at the title of the sermon, which is Four Sons for Leah. So it's five verses, four sons. Anyway, before I uh, give the sermon every week, if you've never been here, uh, I always like to give this day in history first. And I try to find some biblical applications to what happens in history. And there is a couple of them in here as well. The first is on 1775, on this day, 14 April, the first abolitionist society in the United States was organized in Philadelphia. Anybody know who the president of the first abolitionist society was? It was Benjamin Franklin. And I was uh, thinking about this as I was uh, getting ready for this, and uh, the one thing that really upsets me in this world is racism. And it goes both ways. We have people that hate that they are white in America and they feel like they owe a debt to society. And all of our founding fathers were angry white men. When in fact, most of our founding fathers were appalled by slavery and they wanted to get rid of it. And it was one of the things that they had intended to do. They could not because they had a new nation that was founded. It, it would have caused an immediate division in the nation. And so they put it off and they, they, they had actually hoped that it would be taken care of very quickly. Unfortunately, it took a civil war and 600,000 American lives for it to be resolved, and we've still been working out of that since then. But I have to tell you, racism is a poison, and it all goes back to a misunderstanding of what God has done in human history. He created one man, and every person on this earth descends from that one man. Black, white, red, it doesn't matter. Yellow, we all descend from one person. We are all brothers, ultimately. So. Uh, if you have a desire to look down on your fellow, whoever he is because of the color of his skin, you're doing the wrong thing. And God is displeased with that, I assure you. So uh, enough of my soapbox on that. The next one is 1828. The first edition of Noah Webster's Dictionary was published under the name American Dictionary of the English Language. So here we have uh, American English is starting to, uh, you know, get broken away from English 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 or British English and so uh, we started to get rid of the Oxford English Dictionary and produce our own and Noah Webster most people know he was a, uh, uh, a great studier and a great thinker and uh, this is his major contribution to American society and uh, uh, we've progressed on since there and this all goes back to believe it or not um, uh, Genesis chapter 11 the Tower of Babel God is the one that divided the tongues and the uh, speech, the lip of the people around the world and sent them off in different directions. And that wasn't just something that stopped at that moment. 
that has progressed throughout the years and we can trace the the languages and we can move back in time and see how they have progressed from the original language and how they were divided and then how uh, they have continued to be divided since then. Very interesting and if you haven't seen that, I talk about that in the uh, Genesis 11 sermons, the Tower of Babel sermons. And uh, anyway, there you go with that. And then in 1860, something that I just think is just as cool as a uh, cucumber is the uh, first Pony Express rider arrived in San Francisco with mail originating in St. Joseph, Missouri. And uh, it, it didn't last long and it was not a success in, the, in what it intended to do. They got a little bit of mail across. They lost lots of guys through uh, Indians and through, uh, you know, just trials and weather and everything else. And I'm sure a lot of uh, love letters ended up sloppy and couldn't be read because of the rain or whatever. But uh, in the end, it was a great success because it did establish the postal system getting across the nation. And uh, soon trains went in and uh, roads and, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, uh, wagon trails and all that went across America. But these guys were the pioneers. And just to know what they went through is it is a really neat story. So if you've never read about the uh, Pony Express, Maybe take some time and just uh, check up on it. 1865, U.S. President Abraham Lincoln was shot in Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth. And uh, he actually died the next morning, which would have been 15 April. But uh, that was one of our great presidents, Abraham. And uh, 1894, the first public showing of Thomas Edison's kinetoscope took place. And so uh, here you have, for the first time in human history, people to be able to sit there and uh, turn this thing and watch the film go over there. And actually, little movies are coming out. And uh, uh, kind of an interesting thing. And uh, now we can do it on iPads all around the world. We can watch movies. But it all started right here with, uh, uh, what's his name, Edison. And if you know his famous quote, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, how does it go? 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration, uh, invention, that's what it is. Invention is uh, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. And it takes diligence to, uh, to make something work. I uh, got a gentleman over here that's starting a little business right now, and it's going to take diligence, and it's also going to take the Lord's favor. And it's going to take our support of him and uh, prayer. And uh, with anything, you just have to, you know, pull up your bootstraps and get to work. And uh, this guy slept usually three hours a day. And the rest of the time, he'd work eight hours. He'd lay down for a five-minute cat nap, and then get back up and work. And uh, Edison was a man of faults, too. I don't want to just uh, highlight him too much. He did uh, make very difficult uh, uh, times for people that were in competition with him. And he was kind of ruthless in that perspective, but uh, he was a, a great person. Um, 1902, James Cash Penny opened his first retail store in Kemmerer, Wyoming which I didn't know that. I mean, Wyoming must have been just uh, uh, amazing back then. But uh, here he is out in Wyoming, and he opens his first store. And does anybody know what the name of his store was? No, not, it wasn't JCPenney at the time. It was called the Golden Rule Store. This man was a strong, devout Christian. And I got to tell you what, he would be appalled at what's going on in JCPenney today. I won't go there. I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes that cost $100 if they had them on sale for a dollar there because of what they're promoting, the homosexual agenda. All of us have choices where your money goes. And sometimes it's impossible to take and say, I want this money not to be spent for something bad. It's just not possible. But there are things, that, and I don't want anybody here, if you've got a Starbucks cup in your hand, to go hiding it. But I, I do find it hard to believe that I see Christians and even Christians in the ministry posting on Facebook that they're at Starbucks when they promote 
anti-biblical values. You want to go to Starbucks, just go there and keep it quiet. But me, I won't even go there because they have no, no moral values at all that they are promoting with the money that you are giving them. So, you know, I like Dave's idea more and more every day is uh, he, he goes to small businesses and he, he frequents them more than anybody else. And large corporations, some of them are good, but for the most part, they, they do not have uh, biblical values in mind. And uh, I'm not trying to tell anybody not to go shopping and enjoy yourself, but think about what your money is being used for because the Lord does look on our actions and he wants us to make holy and right decisions. Okay, uh, 1912, the passenger line t liner Titanic on its maiden voyage hit an iceberg and uh, began to sink. I think it actually sank a day later, but uh, 1,517 people died at the time and uh, only 700 were saved. And uh, that... Uh, it's a very sad thing that happened, and it tells us once again that we don't know the last moment of our life. Not one of those people got onto that ship and said, I'll be dying on this trip, you know. I'm None of them. They all thought they were going off to a, a, a great adventure, when in fact they weren't. So we have choices to make. 1918, this is pretty cool. I was in the Air Force. Uh, the U.S. 1st Aero Squadron engaged in uh, America's first aerial dogfight with enemy aircraft over Thule, France. So... Uh, uh, the beginning of American warfare was right there on this day in uh, 1918. And uh, I have, I said I was in the Air Force. I was in there for nine years, four months and 15 days, and I uh, bailed out. And I've got a brother who's sitting here with us who is still in the Air Force. He's a senior master sergeant with the Air Force, and uh, my hat is off to him. And if he were an officer, I'd salute him right now. So thank you for your service. And um, 1939, the John Steinbeck novel. The Grapes of Wrath was first published. And uh, so uh, does anybody know where the term the Grapes of Wrath actually comes from? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It comes from a book. Anybody? It comes from, uh, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. The, the grapes uh, were put into the wine press and uh, 200 uh, miles of, uh, of uh, blood at the horse's bridle and, uh, you know, all the destruction and devastation which is coming in the uh, tribulation period. But actually it refers back to the book of Isaiah. And uh, let me see if I can find this real quickly. I think it's towards the end of Isaiah. It's probably about Isaiah 63. And if so, I'll read it to you because it's, you know, it's, it's scary. I mean, this is what's coming in the future for a world that is turned away from God. Um, there it is, Isaiah 63. Okay, here's what it says. It says, who is this who comes from Edom who died with dyed garments from Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? The answer, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked but there was no one to help and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury has sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. So uh, God is using real agricultural lessons that people, you know, they did these certain agricultural things, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and the book of Ruth talks about these things, and elsewhere in the Bible, these are actually being used as spiritual applications. So you have the barley harvest and the, the first fruits is a picture of Christ's resurrection, and then we have the wheat harvest, the great harvest of people, uh, after Christ's uh, atoning death and resurrection, then you have the grape, grape harvest. 
which is the fury of God's wrath at the sins of the world. And he's stomping on these grapes, which is a picture of the human people coming together in war and battle and destroying each other because God has allowed them to do this. He just removes his hands and says, okay, have it your own way. And this is coming. This is really coming on the world. That's not something that was fulfilled in the past. It is something that is coming. So anyway, um, 1956, the Ampex Corporation of Redwood City, California, demonstrated the first commercial magnetic tape recorder for sound and picture. So we're moving into the uh, magnetic age for movies. And uh, so if you watch anything about this time frame, maybe some of the old Twilight Zone movie uh, series or some of the movies, you'll see these people were the pioneers of that magnetic sound and picture being used. And uh, 1981, America's first space shuttle. Does anybody know which one was the first one to take off? What? No. Begins with the C. No. It's up in Ohio. Columbia. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I know it's not actually, but anyway, Columbia returned to Earth after a three-day uh, test flight. It orbited the Earth 36 times. And um, let's see here. In 1984, last one, uh, the Texas Board of Education began requiring public school textbooks. Oh, the ACLU had a fit. All the atheists and all of the uh, people that hate God had a fit about this, but they uh, the uh, textbooks, uh, they required that they describe the evolution of human beings as a theory rather than a fact. When why they get upset at something that is actually a theory and not a fact, it shows the depravity of the human mind. But um, the Bible says that God uh, took the man, he formed the dust of the earth, and he breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living being. And that's what happened. I'm sorry, we didn't evolve from, uh, uh, you know, whatever, uh, slime or apes or anything else. We were created by God. And uh, uh, if you don't believe that we were created, if you believe you're a Christian, you believe in evolution, then you have a problem with original sin because you can't evolve into original sin. And the entire premise of Jesus coming is to undo original sin. So uh, your theology is already getting off. And uh, it was thinking that one through that got me away from evolution, which I used to be, you know, growing up in Riverview High School here in Sarasota and being beaten to death with uh, the fact that I came from a monkey. Um, but uh, we were created. And God loves each one of us as his special handiwork. So there you go. That's uh, this day in history, 14 March. And uh, then we have one more thing to read before we get into the sermon is uh, actually reading the text for today. The sermon text is Genesis 29, 31 through 35. And once again, this is called Four Sons for Leah. So uh, here we go. 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, now, therefore, my husband will love me. Uh, verse uh, 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, obviously it didn't work the first time, uh, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me uh, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi, or we would say in English Levi. And verse 35 says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she stopped. Uh, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing the word of the Lord. All right. Israel as a people has existed for close to 4,000 years. They stem from one man who set out on a journey from his home in order to find a wife and also to escape from his brother who had threatened to take his life, Esau, if you remember that. Now, while looking for one wife, he got two. They are sisters and they are rivals for his affections. 
and in the process, he unwittingly gains two more wives, which are the maidservants of his own wives. In their struggles to have children and to gain his favor, he became the father of 12 sons. But unlike his father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham, who were known through one son of promise, these 12 sons of Jacob will become an assembly of people united in a very unique way. This family begins its journey in today's passages with the birth of four sons to the first wife, who is Leah. How the children are born and the order in which they come can teach us lessons about our own lives as well, and also how God's plans are being worked out in us. Our text verse for today comes from the 42nd Psalm. This is a psalm I love to give to people when they are not in a happy mood. They'll email me with a prayer request and something to cheer them up, and I'll send them this. And Keep this in mind if you have somebody you want to just uplift. Uh, 42nd Psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Leah was the lesser-loved wife of Jacob, and her heart probably never stopped feeling the sadness of being rejected for her younger and more attractive sister. But in today's verses, we are going to see her go from a desire for his attention to praise of God. As we grow stronger in our faith and in the understanding of God's care, we can and we should follow this exact same path. We should learn to leave our desires behind and to look to God in praise of what he has done for us and in anticipation of what lies ahead also. And so may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. I got four thoughts for you today. The first is, see, a son. In Genesis 32, which is coming in a few more weeks, maybe another two months or so, uh, it says these words. I am not, this is Jacob speaking to the Lord. I am not worthy of the least of the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Jacob left his home and he traveled north with no real provisions except a staff in his hand. He didn't travel alone. I've already explained that in previous sermons, but he did not take along a caravan full of worldly goods either. Saying that uh, he uh, went over with his staff in his hand is comparable to us saying that I left with the shirt on my back. In other words, he left with very little, but not necessarily alone. It's been over seven years since that time, and he has no more now than when he started, with the exception of two wives and their two maidservants and any goods that they brought along. As of today's verses, he's going to begin to increase his family, even if he doesn't increase his wealth. He still has a seven-year period of working off the, the debt that he owes for his second wife, who is Rachel. But as he does he starts having children. And this is where we begin today's verses with verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Here we have Jacob with two wives, which he earned with 14 years of work. And depending on the translation that you use here, it may say that Leah was either unloved or she was hated. The translations, both of them are technically correct, but our understanding of what is being said here is probably wrong. The last verse that we looked at from last week's sermon said that uh, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. This is the state of the relationship. The very fact that Jacob is about to have four children in a row from Leah shows that she is in fact love. It's just less love than what Jacob has for his wife Rachel. 
I have to tell you what, I get really bothered by commentators that find fault in Jacob for this. And you'll read them. You'll read a lot of people that just say he's such an unfair husband and all this. But the fact is that we love everybody around us differently, and we love them in different degrees. And we also love the same person, more or less, depending on the time of day, depending on if they change the color of their hair or maybe the mood that we're in at the moment. Jacob has done absolutely nothing wrong by loving Rachel more than Leah. He wanted to marry her in the first place, and it was not his fault that Leah came into the picture. That was because of the cunning of his father-in-law, Laban. It's merely a fact of what happened, and he's living with this as any of us would. Despite this, despite the fact that he is being fair to Leah, Leah is less loved. And the Lord looks with mercy upon the one who suffers, and he is attentive to their, their hearts and their desires. Just because Jacob loves Leah less in no way implies that the Lord feels the same way. And so it says, he, the Lord Jehovah, opened her womb. In the same verse, though, it says that Rachel was barren. This implies that the Lord directed this. As the Lord is introduced here, it's showing us that the covenant that he made with Abraham and then went through Isaac is being attended to by the very actions that we're reading about. Leah's ability to bear and Rachel's inability to do so are both designed by the Lord to continue his plan in a direct and purposeful way. Whether Leah is loved or whether she isn't, she bears the Lord's favor in many ways. The Geneva Bible has a nice quote about this verse. It says, they who are despised by men are favored by God. We can't assume that when somebody is out of favor with somebody else, no matter how important they are, that they are likewise out of favor with God. Leah is not out of favor with God, and I can tell you that good things are coming her way. We can go home and we can think about the people who look down on us, all right? We go home and we watch the news and there's people belittling Christians all the time. You turn on Hollywood and they're belittling Christians all the time. Politicians love to get down on Christians in today's world. But I gotta tell you what, we're out here, we're at the church on the beach and there's people all over America that are seeking God and trying to learn about him and about how he can be applied in our lives or how he should be applied in our lives. And a lot of people, especially the more important people of the world, would look at us as if we're wasting our time. And yet I assure you that the time that you are spending right here or at any other church or at any other Bible study you attend is not wasted. And the Lord will look upon you in the same way that he's looking at Leah. You may be unloved by your boss. You might be uh, unfavored by politicians, but the Lord is not going to forget your efforts for him. I absolutely assure you of this. Leah was unloved, but God tended to her in an exceptional way. And you may feel unloved, but you aren't. You truly are the pride of God's heart. And the time that you spend in his presence will be time well spent. And the temporary things that you lose by pursuing him will be rewarded with an infinite supply of goodness in the time ahead. Mark my words on this. Verse 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Jacob's first child, which is born to Leah, is Reuben. As with all of the 12 sons and the one daughter that are gonna be mentioned, their names reflect what is happening in the story. Leah names the child and the name that she gives it reflects the condition of her heart. His name is Reuben. 
a name which comes from two Hebrew words. One is Ra'ah, which means to see, and the other is Ben, which means a son. Reuben means see, a son. And she explains the name's choice by saying, Kira'a Yehovah Bayani, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. In other words, my sad state has not gone unnoticed by Jehovah. And because of this, he has granted me this child. Something to note though, this is kind of important. We've seen this several times in the past is that Leah may be thinking of the coming Messiah in the naming of this son. Jacob is the son of promise from Abraham and Isaac, and Leah probably already knows this. She may be thinking that because this is the firstborn son, he may be the next son of promise. If so, then her naming him see a son may be her way of saying to Jacob and to her family and to her friends, come and see this son. Behold, God's plan is being worked out through him. In what is a very sad follow-up though, it could be a note of victory, by her or it could be a note of desperation. Either way, it's very sad. We don't know what she's saying. She says, now therefore, my husband will love me. She's probably thinking, I am the mother of the firstborn and this is certainly gonna change his heart towards me. And quite often we're gonna do the same thing. We have this exact same attitude. When we accomplish something in our life, it is often less for one reason than for another. We might have a hidden alternative reason for doing something. Leah's looking for love in her husband and hoping it's going to come because of a son. And we may be doing something to draw attention to ourselves as well. We go to parties and we get drunk so that we can impress our friends. Or we may go sleeping with somebody that we shouldn't be sleeping with in order to get them to love us. Maybe we wear our clothes in a certain way in order to grab attention. I was looking at pictures of myself not too long ago. Uh, all the way back, and Kelly probably knows this as well as anybody, David here and my brother certainly, that uh, uh, I've always worn headbands. As far back as you can go, my, my school pictures always have a headband. But at the time, they were kind of folded like an Indian. But since uh, I got old and bald, I put it over my head like a pirate to hide the uh, baldness of my head. But I've always worn them, and I've got them in every color that you can imagine. And there's no doubt that when I was in school, I was looking for attention. I, I wanted to stand out. Now I simply feel dorky without a bandana on my head or a hat or something, but that's just the way it was. And these things, I have to tell you, you wear flashy clothes or you do something to get people's attentions, you might think they're necessary, but they're not. God does not look on our externals. He looks internally at us and he determines the state of our heart and not what we look like or how rich we are or what our status is in society. And we all need to keep that in mind as we think about God and and how he is going to show favor on us is it's because we're showing favor on him. One of the most important things that God will look for in us is a reverence of his word. In the book of Isaiah, we read this thought, and I want you to think about this while I'm reading it. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is this house that you will build for me? And where is my place of rest? For all these things my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You know what, he says, heaven is my, my throne. It's where he, he dwells. He says the earth, now God doesn't have feet, but you have to understand the symbolism here. He says the earth is my footstool. We take our dirty feet and we put them on a footstool. And if you look around at the world around you and the majesty of what he has done in this creation, 
the birds, how they fly and how they move. The fact that they can get off the ground at all is amazing and the things they can do in the sky is astonishing. And you look at eels that can move on the land and then they can go into the water. And we don't understand the complexity of an eel. We see the, the mountains, how splendid they are and the, the, the glaciers in the mountains that stay blue and beautiful for year after year. And little pieces break off and you can take them and put them in your cup and you can have a whole glass of glacier water. And you think of all the marvelous majesty that God has given us. And he says, it's my footstool. It's a place for dirty feet. But he will look on you when you tremble at his word. I'm almost in tears at that. To think that he has given us a word that we can read and it is his thoughts being given to us. And when we read that and we say, this is God's word to me. He's given this word to me. I will look with favor on that person. Don't ever diminish the power of God's word in your life and how he loves the fact that you are willing to read it and pursue it and to hear it explained to you. And I thank you for being here, for allowing me that honor today. Our second thought today is he who hears. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Leah is again the one to bear a son for Jacob, but this time she sees that being granted the honor of the firstborn did not change Jacob's heart toward her. And again, she chooses a name showing the condition of her heart. The name is Simeon. The name comes from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear. Again, she explains the choice. She says, Ki Shema Yehovah Ki Senua. Behold, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. What was missing in the birth of Reuben will be partially fulfilled in another way in the birth of this second son. What she craves is her love of husband, but in her craving, the Lord grants her a child to love instead. Again, we have a divine lesson right here from the creator of our hearts and the one who understands our desires. We may not always get what we want, but we will always, always get what we need. There is no thing that is lacking in the life of God's people, and that includes a missionary in a hostile land that has no food to eat. What they may lack in a friendly location and food on their table will be restored to them in the glory of their patience in an eternal home with eternal abundance set before them. You talk about the 23rd Psalm and the table, the overflowing cup. That is what we can expect if we are simply patient and wait on the Lord. He will give us everything that we need. If you want promises, I'll tell you this right now, if you want promises of health and wealth and prosperity, I will direct you to several churches in Sarasota that will promise you this every single week. Or I tell you what, I'll send you to some flashy TV evangelists and they will tell you that if you send them money, you write them a check, that you will receive a harvest back in return. God is a cosmic ATM to these people, and he is just going to reward you with more money for the money that you send them. I gotta tell you what, you're not gonna ever hear that from me. It is not going to happen. But if you want true contentment in a world that isn't always fair or kind, stick it out with God's word, and he will reveal to you blessings that you could never, never have imagined. I know the struggles that people have, I know the trials that people have, and I know trials right here in this church on the beach. People that email me and they tell me of their trials and their troubles and the things that are going on in their life, and I know this. And I tell them the same thing again and again and again. It is already defeated because of the Lord. All you have to do is be patient. 
Keep your faith in him and he will reward you abundantly in the eternity to come, no doubt about it. He knows that you might be unloved. He knows that you might be poor or facing trials of whatever kind, but he does hear. Just as the naming of this boy, Simeon, Shema, he hears. And so she named her son, Simeon. Yes, God does hear. So let your voice be made heard by him. And he who is faithful, I assure you, will respond in due time. Our third thought today, attached to each other. Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name is called Levi. Now for a third time in a row, Leah conceives a child. Even if she isn't emotionally loved, she is receiving physical love. Jacob is being a good and faithful husband to her regardless of his greater love for Rachel. In another heartfelt and open plea to her own sad state though, she says that this child's name is Levi. And she explains it by saying, Hapa'am yalave ishi ele. Now this time my husband will become attached to me. Levi means attached. With three sons comes a hope for a stronger bond with Jacob. Three in the Bible stands for that which is solid, that which is real, that which is substantial or complete or entire. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses the concept of three to show us its strength. He says there, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Trinity is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's substantial, it's complete, it is entire, it is unwavering, it is our God. Leah sees this child as the son who will bring her what she has desired, a strong bond with her husband, Jacob. Interestingly, in the five verses that we're looking at today, this is the only one in which the name of the Lord isn't mentioned. She never invokes his name. Her expected attachment to Jacob has caused her to leave the Lord right out of the picture. If I can find an equivalent in us, it would be getting what we want, but not remembering the one who gave it. This is the unappreciative side of each one of us. I'm gonna give you a little lesson about Charlie here. Always, always, when I type a new sermon, I first pray and I ask the Lord for his guidance. And as I'm typing, I pray, Lord, you know, be with me. And I don't understand this. Help me to understand this passage. Well, the day before I started typing this sermon, I thank the Lord for getting me through another one, which means it was a Sunday. And I always go home and I say, thank you, Lord, because I've been preparing for this for five weeks and we get that done. Then I got to rush home and I've got to do the video because if I don't get it done on Sunday, it'll never get done. And so I thank the Lord and I said, Lord, you know, help me through another sermon when Monday comes. And on that Monday, here's what I did. I got home from my morning job cleaning toilets and I sat down and I started typing. And it was about noon, I got hungry, and so I went and I got some food, and I went, I sat back down, and I started typing again, typing again, and I'm eating. And all of a sudden, I realized in the middle of eating that I hadn't prayed to the Lord about doing this sermon, and I hadn't even taken the time to thank him for the food that I was eating. I was so busy with my own personal efforts and how I was gonna get another sermon done that I completely forgot to include the Lord. And it's funny that this happened during this sermon when it's showing us how we need to apply these things in our own life. We ask for health and we get it. And guess what we do? We forget to thank him. And we ask for a promotion and it comes and we don't bother to return gratitude to him when we get it. Leah has been given a third son while her younger sister, Rachel, is still barren. And yet she takes this blessing without giving any thanks at all. Now, maybe in the future, when we hear the name Levi, 
and we hear it a lot in America because there's Levi jeans all over the place. So this is a good thing for you to remember. When you hear the name Levi, remember to give the Lord thanks for everything that he gives you every day. Of course there's bad and of course there are trials and frustrations and all of those other things, but there are blessings dotting our lives all day long, every day. Every bite of food that we get is something we didn't deserve and we should be thanking the Lord for it. So when you hear Levi, just think I need to praise the Lord and to thank him for what he's given me. Our fourth thought today, our final thought, now, now I will praise the Lord. For a fourth time, it says in verse 35, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she calls his name Judah. Here she is, she's receiving the Lord's favor and she conceives. And this time in what is a resounding note of victory, she calls out, Hapa'am ode et Yehovah. Now I will praise the Lord. And therefore his name is Judah. Judah means praise, or it may even mean let him be praised. If so, then it's speaking directly of the Lord. It is from this tribe, this fourth son of Leah, that the Messiah of the world is going to come. His name is Jesus. Interestingly, and as an ancient clue to what's going to happen in the future, the divine name of Jehovah is spelled like this, yud Hey vav Hey or Y-H-V-H. The name of Judah has one additional letter right here. It's a Dalit, yud Hey vav dalit Hey, And the letter Dalit, each Hebrew letter has a meaning. The Hebrew letter Dalit means door. That's just what it means. And so Leah has given her son this name it may be a veiled reference to where the messiah is going to come from judah being the door to jehovah the physical manifestation of god on earth and this is confirmed by jesus own words in john chapter 10 he says this then jesus said to them again most assuredly i say to you i am the door i'm the dalit i am the door of the sheep all who ever come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them i am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the door by which we are saved and which restores us to our covenant-keeping Lord. This is symbolized by the name of Judah, where the door to Jehovah is realized in Jesus. It may be, and we can only speculate on this, that somehow she knew that this would be the case. At first she thought it was Reuben, but somewhere along the way she realized that this wasn't correct. And with each new child, she's looked in hope of the promise that Jacob has spoken about. Instead of looking to her husband, as in the last three children, she now goes to the Lord and prays for this one. Now, the mother of Jacob is Rebekah, and she knew the outcome of the children's lives before they were even born. It said when they were in her womb, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And it's possible that she received a divine oracle and that's why this name was given. I don't know that, but later in the history of Israel, this is some really interesting stuff. After they received the, the law at Mount Sinai, the 12 tribes are going to encamp around the tabernacle, which they were instructed to build. And when they did, they uh, organized around this tabernacle in a specific way where God told them to organize and they gave them instructions when they set out and they would wander through the wilderness and every time they set out judah would go first and there's a reason for this in the same way when the armies of israel had gathered together to go to battle in judges chapter 20 they went to inquire of the lord they said which tribe should go first and the divine response came back in verse 18 of chapter 20 here's what it says 
Then the children of Israel arose and went to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. In these instances, the tribe of Judah set out first as a lesson to Israel and thus a lesson to us. When we proceed, let praise, let Judah go first. God is giving us real life instructions in real life examples. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. It doesn't matter what your prayer is. In all things, let praise, let Judah go first. The term Jew, likewise, as we see it today, comes from this son as well. Israel, after the time of King Solomon, he had a son named Rehoboam. During the reign of Rehoboam, Israel divided into two nations. The northern tribes kept the name of Israel and the southern tribes became known as Judah, all right? Eventually, Israel was exiled among the nations and then later Judah was exiled off to Babylon for 70 years. When the Babylonian exiles returned into the land, they became known collectively as Israel, but they became known individually as Jews. But being a Jew is not something that is based on merely a physical trait as it is more on a spiritual trait. And Paul explains this in the book of Romans chapter two. He says these words, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circ circumcision that which is outward and in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. He's making a pun right here. The word praise is the word Judah. It's not in Greek, but he's using this concept, praise from men rather than praise for God or from God. And he's saying that the true Jew is a person who is praised by God. Now I wanna clear something up real quickly before I go on. We are not Jews. If you are not a Jew, a descendant of Jacob, you never will be a Jew. When you become a Christian, you are still a Gentile. What he's speaking about here is Jewish people that are both circumcised in the flesh and circumcised in the heart. We don't become Jews as some theologians teach, like R.C. Sproul says, you know, you wanna see the Jews, here we are, we're the church. The church did not replace Israel. And we know this because all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, these people were told to be circumcised, but in Deuteronomy, it says circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And Jeremiah confirms this. A Jew is only a Jew if he is both circumcised in the flesh and in the heart. But a Gentile will never become a Jew. So don't make that category mistake. Israel is Israel and the church is never, never called Israel in the Bible. Some people use one verse from the book of Galatians which says the Israel of God and they apply that to the church and that's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the Jewish people who are within Christianity. They have become Christians. Anyway, so don't make that category mistake. Israel is Israel. Paul's use of the pun in these verses though is used to highlight the nature of the Jew. The same is found in the book of John. It's in chapter 12. It's a very sad commentary. And here's what John says about the Jewish people. But although he, meaning Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. And he quotes Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because as Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men 
more than the praise of God. They're not true Jews. He's using, once again, the concept of Judah being praised. They're not true Jews because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The name Judah has a very special significance and it asks us to think on what is praiseworthy. Leah, after three attempts to get it right, finally gets her thoughts straight and she comes to the realization that it is the Lord and it is not men to whom praise is due. She was looking for praise from her husband, but it is only to be found in him. The failure of Israel, as well as the failure of the church, is that time and again, we love these praises of men more than the praise of God. When we give, we do it in hopes of people noticing. And when we help, we hope that we will get a note of thanks. And when we put forth our effort, nobody notices, we let our feelings get hurt. But there is a better reward for those who do their giving in secret. It's something that we will never get from men, but which God bestows upon us. And Jesus tells us about it in Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he says. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. Can't do anything in secret from the Father. It says in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. He sees everything that you are doing, so don't worry about other people. There's another thing I wanna tell you about. It follows in Matthew chapter six, and it is something that goes along with giving, and it's prayer. A lot of people like to make big showy prayers. I was, it's funny, this came up in this sermon, which I typed five weeks ago and I was talking about it. Actually, I wasn't, somebody was talking to me about it, mission work yesterday, is that we got people that love to make these big, long, showy prayers and they love to have everybody around them hear their prayers. But God, I tell you, would rather hear the short and simple prayer of a broken heart from a person in a valley than somebody that's up shouting their prayers from the mountaintops and Jesus, continues on in Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, be not like the hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite is a person who has two faces. He's got a mask and he, he does one thing and then he does another. That's what a hypocrite is. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Leah was rewarded with the fourth child and you too will receive your reward for the things that you do in Jesus' name. Don't worry if nobody ever notices because somebody far greater is watching. I wanna tell you a story about a guy that is in Israel. My friend Sergio told me about him. He's a rabbi that was in Israel. He knows 17 languages. He's obviously a very intelligent man. So intelligent that he actually came to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. And he gave up being a rabbi and he became a Greek Orthodox uh, pastor over there. And he's got a church. It's in a little crack in a wall. It's over 600 years old and it's this teeny little church. And he does his services and they go on for hours and hours and hours and he does them faithfully, even when nobody comes. This guy's heart is set on the Lord and although it probably breaks his heart to have nobody, literally nobody come for the entire day of his devotions, he continues on with his chants and with his prayers because the ears that do hear are pleased with his service. 
And I gotta tell you, there have been times at church on the beach where there have been one or two people who've showed up and it's broken my heart. I'm not gonna lie about it. You, you, the weather's bad. You know, there's, there's something going on in Sarasota and everybody decides they wanna go out somewhere and we still meet. One day I came out here, it was me and Kelly, I think. And so we went home, I said, let's just go to the house. It'll be more comfortable there and there's nobody on the beach today anyway. And then Darlene showed up about an hour later on time. Good job, I'm kidding. Anyway, we had a church service at my house and that was it. And you know what, that's, that's the way it happens. But you don't stop doing your duty for the Lord because nobody's watching. You continue on with it. And if you know, if we have to cancel a service in the middle because of rain, I go home and I redo it so that the people on YouTube can watch it. This is what we do. Don't look for the praise of men when there is a far greater praise that is coming. Verse 35 finishes right here. Then she stopped bearing. The term here is ta'amod melodet, and it means that she stood still from bearing. It doesn't mean that she has become barren, and it doesn't mean that she is unable to have children, but rather for a time she has stopped. And no explanation is given, but it could be because of Rachel's jealousy and something that comes about in the next chapter. What's more probable, though, is that even if it is because of Rachel, it is indirectly because God has other plans for the coming sons of Jacob. He is going to become an assembly of people, just as prophesied, but it's going to come about from four mothers, not just one. Leah has now stopped bearing in order for Jacob's name to be grown in a new way. For whatever reason, Leah has now gotten a period of rest from her labors. And yes, that was a pun. Of these four children that have been born, the first is eventually going to lose his birthright because of something that even in today's morally twisted world, we would consider it inappropriate. He slept with one of his father's four wives, okay? The second two are gonna lose their chance at the birthright because of their fierce and uncontrolled anger. Together, they are going to kill an entire town of people because of the actions of one person. And if you want a real life application there, be angry and do not sin. That comes out of the fourth Psalm and it also comes out of the book of Ephesians. Be angry, sure, that's fine, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't sit there and stew on the things that make you angry until you act and kill a whole town of people because of the actions of one person. So the preeminence moves from those three sons down to Judah, and the line of the Messiah is going to come through him. Despite this, I gotta tell you something, there will be some notoriety in both Simeon and Levi. Simeon is going to be dispersed into the tribe of Judah, and eventually they're going to be absorbed by them. Okay, and from the tribe of Levi will come the priestly class known as the Levites. They will continue to minister to God's people throughout the time of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew is written by a Levite. His name is Matthew Levi. Today in Israel, they claim that they have the gene which identifies the Levites, and they have isolated the particular gene of the Kohanim, or the high priestly class of Levites. And this can be traced all the way back to Aaron, Levi's son. They are getting ready for temple worship in Israel right now. I've seen the implements, I've been to the temple museum and they are getting ready to do this. If you believe that the Bible has been fulfilled as praetorists do, you need to go to Israel and see what's going on because God is working through those people, getting ready to usher Jesus Christ back into the earth, which will happen after the rapture, by the way. Thank goodness for that. But it seems that God has ensured that this tribe of people is gonna be ready for the final portion of prophecy, which was given by Daniel 2,700 years ago, and which encompasses the final seven years of tribulation during the book of Revelation. It will be that the Levites are gonna minister during that time. 
There are four sons for this unloved wife and the honor of one of them, which is going to lead to the Messiah. It is a high honor for a woman who was overlooked as a suitable wife. And I got to tell you something, Leah is simply a picture of a lot of us. We get passed by in life for whatever reason, but the Lord is there with us. He opened her womb and showed her favor while the younger, prettier wife remained barren. And I'd ask all of you not to worry about trying to uh, compete with beauty or with wealth or with status. These things may be nice, but they all fade away very quickly. I can assure you that the favor of the Lord lasts forever. Think about this. There will never be a time ever in all of the ages to come that Leah will not be an ancestor of Jesus Christ. But it was just a very short time before Rachel got old. She had a child and died giving childbirth and she melted back into the earth from which she came. All that beauty is gone and yet Leah's name as an ancestor of Jesus will go on forever and ever and ever. Think on the Lord, think on that which is noble and good and fix your eyes on Jesus. And don't worry about the things that you can't control. He has you exactly where he wants you and where he can best use you right now. Nothing is left to chance with this beautiful creator. I wanna take just another minute and I wanna to explain to you if you've never heard why Jesus Christ came and how it pertains to you personally. Just give me two minutes to kind of weave this together for you. The Bible says that we have sinned. If anybody here thinks that they haven't sinned, then they've got a problem that they need to look internally on. There's no doubt. We've all told a lie. We've all done something wrong. And the Bible says if you've broken one portion of the law, the entire law is broken. And as I said earlier, we can't go back before the sin that we committed. A finite sin committed against an infinite God infinitely separates you from him. And so what did God do? He stepped out of eternity and he united with human flesh in the womb of a woman and he walked among us. He dwelt among us, the Bible says. And he lived that perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he went to the cross of Calvary voluntarily. He laid down his own life for you. And all of the wrath that God has for the sins that you've committed in your flesh, breaking his law, he took and he put on his own son. And he says, if you will simply believe if you will simply put your trust in what I have done in him, we'll be restored back to a happy relationship. That's what God has done for us. He says, if you call on the name of the Lord, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, why is that a condition? Because nobody would call on a dead Lord. You'd be as stupid as a box of rocks. If you call on the name of the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that he never sinned, and so he came back because the wages of sin is death, you will be saved. That's what God asks of you. He asks of you to just simply believe. And felicity is restored, harmony is returned to the relationship, and it will never go away, never, never, never again, despite all of the crummy things that you and I do in the future. He loves you that much. Let me take a, a minute and read you our closing verse today, and this goes back to being a Jew. And I want you to understand these words, okay? Does anybody new know who Peter wrote his epistles to? He wrote them to the Jewish people in the church. He did not write them to the Gentiles. James is the same way, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We're not the 12 tribes. Peter writes to the pilgrims of the dispersion. The church was never dispersed. The dispersion is the Jewish people, and he's writing to Jewish people within the church. So we need to make sure that we understand that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and that's where we get our doctrine and instruction for the church. But there is a time when the church is going to be raptured and God's attention is going to be back on the Jewish people. 
And these epistles are written so that they understand this. Here's what Peter is saying. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And he refers right back to the Old Testament to get that terminology, the term amsegula, my special treasured possession, my people, that you may proclaim the praises, proclaim the Jew, the Judah, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, while we, the Gentile church, with any Jews that have joined in, are living, the Jewish people have been scattered. And he's going to call them back, and they're going to become the focus of God's attention in the future. You were not a people. Right now, they're not a people. You are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Wonderful stuff. But we can apply that to ourselves in a limited way. Always be careful how you apply the Bible and who it's being written to and for what reason. But we are a special treasured possession of God right now. And someday the Jewish people will be back into that light when the rapture of the church happens. Next week is going to be Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 13. It's two more wives and four more sons. And that'll be our 70th Genesis sermon. Maybe I'll have a cake or something for 70 sermons. And Kelly, she's been putting up with every one of them week after week after week. So maybe I'll have a little... Uh, candle on there for Kelly. I don't know. Anyway, I love to pick on her. I'll tell you one more thing before I give you our weekly poem. The Lord has you exactly, exactly where he wants you. And he has a good and he has a noble purpose and a plan for you. So call on him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay, here's our weekly poem. It's called Four Sons for Jacob. When the Lord saw that Leah was the unloved one, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name, this firstborn, Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me like an addiction. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am the unloved one, he therefore has given me this son for which I pled. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons, not just one. Therefore, his name was called Levi, you see. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, Judah is what she called this one. Then she stopped bearing, so says the word. Four sons for Jacob from his lesser loved wife, and from her will come the giver of life. It is from her fourth son Judah that the king would come, the one to rule over all the nations. It is from the tribe of praise that Jesus would become the savior of the world, the hope of all generations. Oh God, your plan is perfect and your word is sure. Your splendor is marvelous and your holiness pure. And so to you, we will shout our resounding praise, giving you alone glory and honor for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to speak on these first four sons of your people Israel and how they came into the world and how their lives actually reflect the state of our own lives at any given point. And how we can think on the naming of them and what uh, occurred around their birth to show us our own selves and, and our need for you and our need to just be attached to you and not attached to any person or anything and to give you the praise that you alone are due. You're a great and wonderful God. You're perfect in all your ways and we just, we just love you. And I would ask that each person here uh, have a, a blessed week ahead, be safe and uh, be taken uh, carefully to their next place of worship, wherever that would be, whether it's on Church on the Beach or some other location, that they would uh, just remember to praise you and to spend time in your word and to get closer to you each and every moment of their life. Lord, we love you. 
we love you and we thank you above all for the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.